Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about spray tank cleanout. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You could also email us radio at agphd.com or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We're going to get to the agphd mailbag in just a minute. And again, later in the show, we'll be talking about spray tank cleanout. To start with today, I, I feel really bad for a lot of farmers out there who are struggling to get the crop in. And I will just tell you, we've been in that spot before too. But every time we get in a bad situation on our farm, I try to, and I'm not saying I'm the greatest at this, but I try to do a couple of things. One is just still be appreciative of the fact that we get to live and work and farm in one of the greatest areas in the world. We have so much opportunity here. And as much as things are going wrong, I just still have to be thankful for what we have because look around the world a little bit. Look at all the terrible things happening to a lot of people. We're still in a good spot, even though, yes, business-wise, things may not be the greatest at the moment. Well, anyway, the second thing that I try to do is say, all right, I realize that Mother Nature's against me. But let's face it, as farmers, Mother Nature sometimes is going to be against us. So I try to analyze in our own business, our farm, what could I do in the future to avoid some of these things? So, and this it partly explains why a lot of farmers have, and I hear it from other farmers, they say, well, that guy doesn't need a 24-row planter. <laughs> he doesn't farm that many acres. And I'm going, well, he's probably been in this kind of situation where he says, you know what? I got three days to get my crop in. I'm getting it in. So I'm just going to have what some people might consider overkill on equipment. Other people say, hey, I got to get lots of tile in. Maybe some people say, you know, it's more of a compaction issue and that's not allowing my water to drain properly. So I'm going to try to alleviate that with some deep tillage, getting lots more calcium in the ground and reducing uh, my tillage long term, building up soil organic matter. Um, I, I mean, all I'm trying to say here is the two things I just said Number one, being appreciative. Number two, looking internally, saying, hey, what else can I do in the future? Both those things mean taking the emotion out. And that's very difficult to do. Like I said, I'm not the greatest at this either. But I'm just, I, I, I'm here to give you hopefully at least a couple words of encouragement. One, we do have real good commodity prices. And two, there is crop insurance. So hopefully you have that. And hopefully you're going to say, you know what, it's not the end of the world. I'm going to live to farm another year. But the third thing is a lot of times things can change and it can change fairly quickly. So even where we farm, we've gotten three inches of rain in the last week. Well, yesterday we had 80 degrees and super windy conditions again. Well, just in a day, it totally changed. And I was going, oh man, we aren't going to farm till the end of the week. And in one day I said, well, wait a second here. So much moisture left that I didn't think was going to leave. So you just never know. You just have to hope for the best and, and kind of go from there. So anyway, hopefully things are going well in your farm. But if they're not, hang in there. Don't get down. Just be ready to go when the opportunity comes that you can get your farming done. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! 
All right, first question comes from Josh, who's an agronomist up in northern North Dakota. He said, I have a farmer I'm working with who's wondering how to increase chloride levels in his soil for his barley crop. He's got low levels of chloride on some of the fields, but also the soil tests say they are high in potassium in parts per million, which are around 300. The chloride varies from 8 to 12 pounds per 0 to 24-inch sample. I'm wondering how much is too much potassium? Could he continue to apply potassium to get his chloride up? All right. Well, first of all, knowing where this is in the country, in North Dakota, a lot of it's heavy soil. Well, if you've got heavy soil, 300 parts per million of potassium is not high. That's actually low to very low. And you're going to run into some people that are going to say, well, no, I only need this for potassium, whatever. Look, it, it matters a lot what you have in ratio of potassium to other things. And when you're overloaded on calcium and you're overloaded on magnesium, one or the other or both, well, then you just have to have in ratio more potassium. That's why we talk about the base saturation test all the time. We want 4 to 8% base saturation K, even in heavy soils. So you probably need 500, 600, 700 pounds of K to be what we would consider really good on potassium. So no, you can absolutely be throwing potash out. I'd be throwing some potash out every single year. That's going to solve your, your chloride issue. And then you're going to, over time, build your yields and your stock strength because you're going to have more potassium as well. Oh, and the good news is when you do build up K in heavy soils, it doesn't leach. Now, sure, if it's sand and I mean, let's say you're in Alabama and you got three CEC and you got I mean, feet of rain, uh, it's a little bit different, and then it can be leachable, but not in North Dakota. Potassium is not leachable in a heavy soil in North Dakota. So any K you put out there, sooner or later, you're going to use it up. All right, next question comes from Paul. He said, uh, planting sweet corn in a garden is prowl or pendimethalin no. a good pre-emerge? And should we have any concern if we use a pre-emerge herbicide that it will be in the food when harvested? Okay, when pesticides are labeled, they run residue studies. I mean, this is a really big deal, and it costs companies millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to run the tests to prove that, hey, the stuff isn't in there when it gets fed. So I'm not worried about, is anything going to be in my food? And if there was anything, the amount would be unbelievably minuscule, so I'm not concerned about that because, as always, the dose makes the poison. But what I am concerned about is putting prowl out there for corn, sweet corn, any kind of corn doesn't matter. It's hard on the corn. It's hard on the roots. It's going to hurt yield, typically in my experience. Instead, I'd use something else like one of the group 15s. I like Outlook. Dual's really good, but there are other group 15s as well if you're after grass control. And you can use other things on top of that to give you some broadleaf control as well, both pre and post emerge. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk about spray tank cleanout right after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. 
That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we are going to tackle the problem that you may or may not know that you've got on your farm. If you're spraying things, if you've got a sprayer, you may be having some spray tank clean-out issues, and sometimes they don't amount to a lot. They don't end up really causing a lot of injury out there or plugging things up or, or so forth, but other times they can, and they often happen at the absolute worst time. So we want to make sure that we're doing a great job on this. We don't want to do anything that hurts the crop, and we don't want to do anything that <laughs> creates a lot of extra work for you with that sprayer too. So we want to do a nice job of spray tank cleanout. If you've got your ideas, you want to talk about what your strategy is in your farm, we'd love to hear from you today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's start off with our friend Jim Reese with Precision Labs. Uh, Jim's got some experience with this spray tank cleanout, and he knows a thing or two. Jim, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. All right. When I know some of the first questions that I had for you were around, man, different things that we've tried on the farm. I remember using household ammonia way back in the day, and we would do a pretty good job getting stuff off the sides of the tank, but it seemed like before we got it rinsed out of the tank, it stuck on the sides again. So why does why does household ammonia often not work? Well, actually, you know, it's, it's it's one of the first things we had, right, back in the day, but it just lacks any detergency. So it doesn't have any detergent characteristics, no really cleaning technology, just, and the ammonia is kind of just weak at elevating pH, which is a good thing, but it just, it was a, as good as we had back in the day, but there's just so much better now. All right, you mentioned detergents, you mentioned elevating pH. Uh, there, there's just a number of things that are going to go into picking a great commercial tank cleaner. Uh, what are some of those things that, that are really important that growers should be looking for? So, I, first of all, it needs to elevate spray solution pH, and it needs to be able to jack pH up over 11. Um, there, uh, so you, that's really desirable. It needs to have a good detergent program uh, system to it. So, Actually, if, you're, if your tank cleaner is not causing a lot of foam when you're using it, that's probably a little light on detergency. 
Um, and it's really the detergents in there that are going to help eat away at some of those oily residues, penetrate those dried-on residues, and help flush those things out of the system. Uh, ideally, you'd like to have something in there that uh, helps it, prevents it from redepositing, like you mentioned, right, on its way out, so you can actually purge the whole system. All right, so there there are a lot of things here that farmers are, are hearing. Okay, wait, you're talking to me about a tank cleaner now. What is the process of using a tank cleaner? How do you do it well? Um, great question. So I, our experience would say the first thing you want to do is pre-flush the system, right? So um, start out, charge the system. You know, if you've got a sprayer, put 100, at least 100 gallons of water in there, recirculate a little bit. Uh, I would pull the screens and strainers and the end caps first, and then I would purge the first 100 gallons of clean water through the system just to get the chunks out. Then I'd put the screens and strainers back in, I'd put my end caps back in on, and that's when I would actually start, uh, I'd mix up another 100 gallons of spray solution, or excuse me, cleaning solution, use my tank cleaner, and recirculate it for, gosh, 30, 45 minutes, just making sure it's going through the entire system uh, this is probably a good time, too, to have a, a, a good defoamer on hand because if you're recirculating this, you're going to generate a lot of foam, or you should. Uh, so anti regular old antifoam will do a great job knocking that down. Uh, then I would flush that through that entire volume through the nozzles, uh, screen strainers, um, and then towards the end of that, I actually may pull the end caps off, too, just to make sure I push a lot of stuff out then. Um, and then I would... Uh, once that's out of the system, that would go to my final rinse. And I'd charge it up again with clean water, and I'd recirculate that through the system, and then I would purge that all through the system as well. And then I'd, I'd pull the sump at the end, I'd, and I'd tip up the booms, and I'd make sure that everything drained back out of the booms and out of the tank. Yeah, it is a little bit of work. There's no doubt about it. And there's so many little spots. Like you mentioned right away, the screens and the strainers and the end caps. And I think, okay, here already you've got some guys that want to cut corners. Oh, it's such a good spray day. I want to get back out there. I don't want to take a, an hour or something while I'm doing this. I, I want to get it done in 10 minutes. And <laughs> I, I've seen too many times where there's something caught in the end caps or, or in a strainer or something like that that just ends up being back in that solution and a problem. So if you do all these steps, uh, what is your chances of success? Is it 99% chance of success that you're, you're going to be really happy? Or are you saying, ah, it only increases your, your uh, success rate by just a little bit? Well, no, I think it actually probably drives it up over 99%. Just, in fact, if you, if you find yourself taking less than maybe an hour and a half, two hours to clean out your sprayer, you might not be doing a very good job. Um, so, but if you follow all the steps, I think you have a high degree of success. In fact, even with dicamba, I think you have a great, you know, a great degree, uh, degree of success. So it's just really an issue of technique and technology. We're using the right technology, which is a good tank cleaner, and the right technique, which is all about you, right, and following those steps, doing the pre-flush, the cleaning step, the rinsing step, the draining step. If you do all that, you can have really good success. 
Now you mentioned uh, a real hot button product there, dicamba. Everybody's concerned about getting dicamba out of the tank. Another one that we hear a lot coming out of pre-emerge herbicide application season is Valor. A lot of guys have some challenges yeah. with Valor. Why are those products a little tougher than others? And is it that they're getting caught in the pores or is it residue that's stuck on the side of the tank? What What is it with those products? Well, that camp is so water soluble. I think it's just because it's so active at, at such a low use rate, right? It just shows plants show symptomology really, really easily. I think you can make the same uh, the same case for the for plumies like Valor, um, but also you know, are you giving it places to hide, right? So I also think about you know, you have to be the the king of chemical hide and seek with your sprayer, and where where would things hide? And so you've got hoses that hang down, right, and make a U. Um, that's a great place for, for chemicals to hide and, and hard to get them to push out. So you might want to make sure you invert those, all the U's or sagging hoses, you invert them so they automatically drain. But I think a, a lot of times, too, is just other residues left in the sprayer from other applications that didn't get cleaned out because we tend to not think about cleaning our sprayers as often as we clean our bodies, right? I mean, we would never take one bath per spring, but we seem to think sprayers are fine just getting one bath a spring uh, or spraying season. Uh, so you get to other things building up, and those end up being anchoring sites. And uh, and some things like flumies or dicamba can hang on to those anchoring sites. And it probably speaks too, right? A guy could could or should probably consider using compatibility agent, especially with all the pre-emerge work we're doing, especially if we're applying it with UAN or ammonium thiosulfate. Um, having good compatible mixtures, even for our pre-applications, helps ensure that we don't leave these building blocks or these these sites in the sprayer where things like flumies and dicamba or 2,4-D can just latch on and hold on to. But that's a great point, Jim. I know we've been using Convert and have noticed less problems trying to get things cleaned out of the tank. We don't have as much stuff sticking anymore on the sides. What do you think with those compatibility agents? Is there a low rate that you can use all the time kind of as a preventative, uh, or do you have to use a, a higher rate? Uh, otherwise, it doesn't going to do the job. No, that's a great that's a great question. Um, actually, I think the pint per 100 use rate just, just, just generally does a good job. Um, and that is a, like would be a maintenance rate, and it's really only when you're starting to deal with things like ammonium thiosulfate in your mixture at any amount, where you really have to step up. Especially if you've got pre-emerge products that contain a flowable like atrazine or maybe even metribuzin, um, those things would really require that one quart per hundred use rate. But otherwise, a pint is fine. Yeah, and it, it just saves so many headaches. So we're talking with Jim Reese here with Precision Labs about spray tank cleanout, something you really need to take seriously going into this season. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Likewise. Have a safe spring, guys. You too. Yeah, staying safe is, is the important thing. We look at this week and how, oh, man, you can't hardly drive by a field now as, as conditions get a little bit drier out there in these wet areas where there's a tractor in every field. It's it's really fun to, to watch. But we know when we're putting in those hours and pushing that hard to get stuff done, we have to keep safety as the focus. We'll talk more about spray tank cleanout as well coming up right after this. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? 
With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product, it's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Compromise is nice, if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitech fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitech fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. When you pull your side dress bar out of the shed, do you dread the time and expense of replacing worn colders and bearings? There's a better way. Hi, Greg Souter, 360 Yield Center. 360 Wide Drop for side dress bars is a quick, low-cost upgrade that cuts maintenance costs. Plus, you're likely to get a yield boost from moving nitrogen from the middle of the row to the root zone. Save time, money, and boost yield potential with 360 Wide Drop Side Dress. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about spray tank cleanout. And I know if you're switching from one crop to the next, this is certainly something on your mind. Or if you're just getting started this year, making sure you start with a clean tank is really important too. So we'll discuss spray tank cleanout. We'd love to have your ideas as well. If you say, man, I got a strategy that's really working for me. Our phone lines are open at 844 844- 44 ag phd if you'd like to share it got our friend trevor dale on right now with valent trevor how you doing i'm doing very good how are you doing 
Pretty good. I love that you're not afraid to uh, talk about a little spray tank cleanout because I've been on a lot of farms. I know you have too, where it hasn't gone well. And so uh, you pick up some lessons along the way and you figure out, oh, here's where we missed. Here's what we should have done a little bit different. And and after you hear those things, it it does get exciting to talk to other people about it because you don't want to see the same problems happening again and again. And I would say you're probably the expert when it comes to anything containing valor. Uh, You've been on a lot of farms. You've looked at a lot of spray tanks and and you know how to do it well. So what's the secret, Trevor, to to getting a great spray tank? Well, I I think Jim had a lot of uh, good suggestions and comments on on his segment. He mentioned uh, a pre-flush prior to cleaning. And one of the things I always tell people, you know, whether it's Valor or, or, or a lot of products, is when you get done spraying at the end of the day to do a post flush. <laughs> I just yeah. picked that up, but flush out at the end of the day and uh, make sure that, you know, if you were running your agitator, which you probably were, that you're also, you know, flushing out, you know, have that line on as well or turn on the agitation. Um, I just really feel that with so many of these things, if we flush out our system at the end of the day, that that gets you so close to um, where you need to be. And then um, make sure you got, you know, the right cleaner for the time or for the products that you're trying to clean out. Um, I think you covered that well with the ammonia and, and other stuff. And then one of the other biggest things that um and you mentioned it earlier is the time not only the the time where you're taking off your end caps and things like that but if you look at the different tank cleaners they they'll recommend four hours or six hours or some sort of time i see where people use a tank cleaner and they let it sit in there for 20 minutes or something and then you know flush it out and it's well you didn't give whatever cleaner it was sufficient amount of time to work. Sure. So, and then I always recommend when you go back to spraying again is, you know, purge the booms on the edge of the field before you take off. And I think just doing those things uh, correctly, people just don't have problems. Yeah, I think every year uh, we we see pictures of not getting that boom all cleaned out and what happens. I know Brian had one uh, last year. He was driving by a field and snapped a picture. It, it was just textbook that that you see those things. Uh, you know, there there are just a lot of things that that can go wrong with this, and it does intimidate some guys. That man, maybe I shouldn't be doing my own spraying, but hey, the the guys that are doing custom app have the same challenges. They just have to do this probably about every day with all the products they're switching between i'm guessing yes yeah and it and a lot of times it's all about the time that the product's in the sprayer you know if you if you fill up and go spray and and then rinse out there's going to be very little um possibility for anything to be hung up in the sprayer but if you're doing you know load after load after load um that gives it more time to you know, either attach itself to rubber hoses or, or whatever's happening or build up in end caps. So it's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert. I do not do the greatest job, but I've found personally, if at the end of the day, if I can rinse my sprayer out, I just have not had any problems. 
Yeah, it, it's a it's a simple job. It just needs to get done. And, and if you do it timely, and I love that point, Trevor, that you made, the end of day flush. Hey, you know what? It's the end of the day. Everything is still in a liquid form here and should be able to, uh, to clean out the easiest rather than letting it dry on. Let's get after it right away. Uh, Trevor, thanks so much. Really appreciate a chance to talk with you today. Thanks for, for sharing those comments, too. Yeah, thanks, guys. You bet. Uh, let's head down to Kentucky. Got our friend Nick Flights on right now with Hypro Pentair. How you doing there, Nick? Hey, doing pretty good today, Darren. Thanks for having me on. All right. So one of the things uh, we had Jim Reese with Precision Labs on earlier, and Jim said you got to take the time, get those end caps off, get all these things off. And I thought this is where you lose people, Jim. Where, where guys say, "Man, I don't have time for all this stuff," and it just takes so much time. You got some decent solutions though that you've created uh, with with Hypro to to solve some of these problems so it's not so hard to clean out. Nick, do you want to talk about some of the things that the growers could do to their sprayers to make things easier? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the time in the end cap topic and, and I'll start there um, since since you kind of teed it up for me. Um, yeah, so our sprayers, you know, in the past have had varying types of end caps. Um, we had our own, Hypro had one called the Express End Caps, been around for years. Um, that took away that dead end space at the at the end of the boom that we used to have past the last nozzle at each section, puts that nozzle on the end. And then there was a retainer fork and a plug you could take off to open up the end of that boom and, and flush right out the end of it uh, and, and really clear things out. Now, it took a little bit of time to do. You had to have a, a, a screwdriver or a pair of pliers to take that fork and that retainer plug out. You had to have a bucket or jug to, to catch it with and keep those parts. And then after you clean things out and flush, you had to go and replace them. So it took a little bit of time and effort. And uh, to, to get away from that and reduce that amount of time and effort, a couple years ago we came out with the Express Flush Valve. Uh, it's a retrofits onto an existing end cap. So if you have those Express end caps, you can retrofit with these. It just replaces that plug. Uh, at the end, and it's a stainless steel quarter-turn ball valve. So now you don't have to remove anything. You don't need any tools to open flush all your, all your boom sections. You just walk along, you flip that quarter-turn ball valve open, and you can really flush things out pretty quick and easy, and then you just go back and close them uh, when you want to, to charge that boom. So really reduces the amount of time and effort required uh, to to get that those booms open and cleared out you know at the end of the day um so a lot of our newer sprayers have like i said some have some type of end cap um some don't some have the ability to to open flush with some sprayers out there coming out of the factory that have an an air purge um end cap there but it doesn't allow you to open up that boom without taking that whole assembly and nozzle off um, so if you have something like that, even if it's a newer sprayer, uh, you know, I consider looking into some type of end cap solution that allows you to, to open up the end of that boom quickly and easily. And that's really going to help you step up your game on getting that sprayer clean, uh, you know, at the end of the day or when you're switching between different chemistries. Nick, if you've got something more important than this question to talk about, go right ahead. But I think the other thing that I've had a lot of comments on this spring has just been the screen size. That Some guys have said, man, why are they putting 100 mesh screens in, in some of these applications? I'm just going to go back to a 50, and then I don't plug up all the time. Is that? Do you get a lot of questions on that? 
I do, and I relate it back to, uh, if we're talking about, I'll talk about the, the screens at the nozzle level first, and then I'll talk about the sprayer level in the plumbing. At the nozzle level, my standard recommendation goes back to the size nozzle that you're using. If you're using a, say, an 05, a brown nozzle or up, or maybe even an 04, a red, if you've had trouble with the, the screens or the strainers plugging up, feel free to leave them out. You know, as you go up to a larger size nozzle, the orifice inside of them gets larger, and your ability just to blow things through as you're spraying, any particulates or um, things that haven't fully dissolved uh, in the spray solution, it really goes up. You can get a lot more to blow through them. Your potential for plugging is a lot less. That's 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 a good novels. hey Nick that that's a good tip right there and I want you to elaborate just a little bit more because we're up against a break so if you could hold on for one second we'll uh, we'll get you on right after this break to finish up yeah sure no problem we're talking about spray tank cleanout and avoiding issues with the sprayer on today's Ag PhD radio program stay tuned we'll be right back. Take a second and listen. You hear that? That's the sound of your roots growing where they've never gone before. There are additional nutrients and water in your soil, hidden in tough to reach spaces. With MycoApply Endoprime, hyphae attached to the root hairs to reach small areas inaccessible to big roots, even some that are tied up in the soil. Applied in furrow at planting, MycoApply Endoprime uses four, four unique species of mycorrhizal fungi to go where roots can't. Unlock the potential of your corn crop with MycoApply Endoprime, and by nurturing your soil today, you're helping to ensure future harvest will be just as bountiful. For more information, talk to your local retailer or visit valent.com endoprime. Always read and follow label instructions. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. 
putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground. What an important topic today. We're discussing spray tank cleanup, something we're all going to be dealing with as, as we head through this season. And we're real happy here on Ag PhD Radio to have some good friends out there, too, that want to give us some tips. Like We've got Nick Flights on right now with Hyper Pentair. Uh, and Nick was just sharing about screens that, hey, if you got this great big nozzle, you can leave the screens out. Now, you were just starting to talk about some of the, the smaller nozzles. Uh, go ahead, Nick, finish up where, what your point was there. Yes, I said uh, really 05 and up, so brown and up, or maybe even an 04, or, you know, which would be a red nozzle and up. Feel free to, to toss those screens out if you've had issues with them. As you go to the smaller nozzle sizes, and a lot of your dual fan nozzles as well. You know, those orifices are getting pretty small, so they're going to plug up easier than a larger one will. So that's when I generally recommend keeping that strainer in. Um, it's going to help prevent some of that plugging. It's going to catch a lot of those particulates before they can plug your nozzle up. If you've been having plugging issues with a smaller size nozzle, uh, those screens are plugging up and causing you issues, couple things you can do. Generally, uh, those smaller nozzles are going to have a 100 mesh screen. You can try going to an 80 or maybe even a 50 and see if that helps. I'd probably try and find an 80 if you can before you go to 50, but if you can't find an 80 mesh strainer, try the 50. That's still going to give you some protection there uh, to help keep that nozzle from, from plugging up with your smaller sizes. You can also go back and look at, at the strainers that you have in your boom plumbing. You know, farther back, um, that boom center rack, generally there's a bank, there's some strainers there, there's some in line after the pump, and, and look at what you have going on there. Uh, you may have the opportunity to change the, the mesh size strainer you have there to catch some of those particulates and issues before they reach the nozzle and cause you problems there. And if you do have a problem, that's really where you want it to be. You don't want to have those problems at the nozzle because you'll have 72 or 96, however many nozzles you know your sprayer has. It's going to take a lot more time and effort to you know get out and clean those nozzles or screens if it's at the nozzle level than if it's at you know one, two, or three screens inside your plumbing. So that's an area to look as well that you can go to a uh, little bit smaller uh, mesh size to try and catch some more things. If you're not, if you're having a lot of issues at the nozzle level, no, that's a great tip. Yeah, that reduces your workload a lot of of trying to figure out where the problem's at. Hey, one other thing too, Nick, as you mentioned, uh, screens and strainers here. I've had I've had questions already from growers this spring about what's going on with some of these uh, biological or natural type products I bought from various companies. They they've plugged more things or they they've settled out in tanks and whatnot. You've got to do good a good job circulating products. We've got a lot of pre mixed. Uh, especially corn pre-emerge herbicides that are getting used that they can have some issues too. So make sure you're circulating everything up before you put it in and then run it through a strainer before you even put it in the tank. That's a, a good way to avoid problems as well. Uh, Nick, any last comments you had on spray tank cleanup? 
Well, you're talking about some of these biologicals, some of these suspension herbicides. We use a lot on corn and pre-emerge on beans. You know, this time of year, a lot of that. Most sprayers are going to have multiple agitation settings. Go ahead and kick that agitation level up a little bit if you're having settling out issues uh, to, to really keep that product stirred and moving in the sprayer um, while you're spraying or while you're transporting. And that a uh, little bit more aggressive agitation may help keep things in suspension. You bet. There's always a lot of good tips. That's why it's great to talk to some experts out there, and we're real happy to have one here, Nick Flights with Pentair High Pro. Nick, thank you so much. I know you're super busy this time of year, so we really appreciate your time and your advice. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. Let's head out to North Carolina. Another guy that's super busy is Kevin Matthews, who farms there. Kevin, how's it going on your farm? Uh, going good. We're rolling into planter planting corn right now. Got soybeans going in the ground and just uh, tearing stuff up left and right. We're talking spray tank clean out, and, and like you mentioned, there are a lot of operations now uh, across North America where they're planting multiple crops at the same time, and I can only imagine the sprayer trying to keep up and get pre-emerge products down and eventually post-emerge products down. There's a lot of spray tank clean out that goes on, and none of us wants to look like a fool to our neighbors when they see, oh, man, look look what Darren did again. He burned some of his crops. So how do you avoid those problems? What What's your spray tank clean out strategy? Uh, we got to do a lot of prayer, praying for one thing, and because it, uh, you know, you, you get talking on that telephone, and the next thing you know, you forgot an important step. And you know, Nick is, golly, he's just top of the game at it. And we do a lot of the things he says. Uh, the the big thing to remember is there, there's so much volume in that spray boom, and there's so many cracks and crevices. So it, when you say spray tank clean out, that's only about a really about a third of what you got to do to get that sprayer cleaned out. So you got multiple boom sections uh, and all your wet booms. We actually did add the uh, quarter turn valves at the end. We got those from High Pro. Um, they do uh, make clean out so much easier now where we can it just collect so much stuff in there, especially your dryer powders and, and even, you know, just items that you get from your water. Um, so that's a big deal to get that cleaned out but and then you know the big thing to remember too is when you're switching you know let's say it's a safe product and you're you're switching between between chemicals even though it's the same crop and it's not going to hurt the crop by no means and but what you got to remember is if you're going to try a new product and see try to compare it against an existing product that you've been using say for a post control on corn you know, with these 120-foot booms, it takes, you know, 40 gallons of product to get it from the solution tank out to the boom. And uh, so, you know, if you're putting 10 gallons an acre, that's four acres before you actually get the product out there. So you really need to think about stuff like that. It's, it's hard to believe it takes that much. And, and another thing is when you leave your tank cleaner in there, uh, be sure and just put some plain water in at the end of the day or the end of the job and run that clean water through so you got that setting in that boom uh, prior because I've actually burnt some soybeans really bad with just having ammonia in the boom from the clean out because I forgot to run that 40 gallons through to flush that boom out even though there was no chemicals in there that could cause the damage but the actual ammonia itself was so high volume it caused it so you just can't spend too much time uh, 
you know, we pull out every strainer. We, at the end, we'll actually uh, use those quarter turns. And before we had those, we would take the nozzle body off and just blow it right out the port and create a lot of velocity and do one boom section at a time. So, you know, if we didn't have clear water running out, we just kept letting it go through till it got clear. And it amazes me how much stuff gets deposited in the end of those boom manifolds. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I think about all the different combinations. It's one thing when you're spraying one straight product, but you start mixing a few different things and we're all trying to save a pass across the field. So we're doing two or three jobs at the same time. It just increases your odds of having some issues. And and you never know if they're all compatible too. like you were mentioning, just switching from one product that is safe for the crop to another product that's safe for the crop. But maybe those two don't play well together. That, that clean out is just such such a big deal. Kevin, I can hear you are super busy. I know you guys got lots to get in the ground. So good luck to you. Stay safe. We really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again. Uh, I got one question for oh, you, sure. Darren. Go ahead. All right. When you when you clean your sprayer out, how brave are you? I only <laughs> like to put about a 10-acre mix in and start spraying, and then I'll fill back up just, just because I'm worried I might really mess up. <laughs> Am I the only one that does that? <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe, may you might be Kevin. I'm not sure, but maybe you're onto something there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't always have the most con- where I don't have the confidence is when I'm spraying around my yard. Cause then I think, oh man, if I was spraying something that would kill everything and then I have to go to something that has to be safe for my lawn or safe for my flowers and, and plants around there. I'm kind of nervous about that sometimes. So I, I know that's that's where I get a little more nervous. But, yeah, I get it. It's it's a lot of dollars you're playing with on every acre right now. Yeah, Miss Anthony don't like getting her flowers. <laughs> you're absolutely right about that. Well, Kevin, good luck to you here, and, and stay safe. Thank you, sir. Y'all take Bye. Talking spray tank clean out on today's program, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators. Deverne in Missouri says, After seeing our harvest results, I'm an enthusiastic supporter of the Farm Shop MFG germinator closing wheel. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold the answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. 
At AgPhD, we want to support anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event. In-field sessions include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So this is one event that you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag now. If you have an agronomic question, you can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. This one comes in from James down in Oklahoma. He said, I, I am going to be seeding uh, under pivot here in southern Oklahoma, new ground that hasn't been grown on in over 20 years. We're plowing it, getting the ground ready uh, for planting. And I sent you my soil sample and the recommended nutrition. Now, they're recommending that I put a blend out there, also adding a liquid uh, to get my seed up. Uh, front heavy nitrogen fertilizer with plenty of P and K, and then later uh, put on some N during the season and so forth, and also sulfur and boron. Just curious what you think about that soil sample and if you think I'm meeting my needs. Okay, well, first of all, the cation exchange capacity, according to this, is 2. The soil organic matter is 0.2%. So in other words, you got a soil that has nothing, can hold nothing, and that just means you've got to constantly be feeding fertilizer out there. Constantly. So constantly. So being able to <laughs> fertigate would be a huge advantage on yes. ground like this. Yes, because... I mean, what we often say, for example, on nitrogen, is we'll say your soil can hold roughly 10 times the CEC. Okay, well, if you got a 2, well, 2 times 10 is only 20. Let's say you're going for 250 bushel corn and you want 300 pounds of nitrogen out there because your soil has none. It's going to have none because that soil organic matter is nothing. Um, 300 divided by 20, that means you got to apply nitrogen 15 times. One of the first times David Hula, he's a world record corn producer, one of the first times he was up on our farm, I don't even know, eight, ten years ago, something like that, we just asked him, how many times did you put nitrogen on your crop? And I don't remember what the number was, 11 times, 14 times, I don't know, some ridiculous thing where I'm like, 
that's why I don't remember exactly what it was because I was so shocked. Like, what? How many times did you put nitrogen on? But the thing is, when you farm in pure sand like this, you just don't have a choice. So you have to separate the leachable nutrients from the non-leachable nutrients. So for example, when I look at phosphorus, zinc, and copper, well, they're not leachable, even in this pure sand soil. Now, to some degree, sure, they're going to move a little bit, yes. But I don't mind putting out my season's worth of those nutrients each year. That's fine. And on copper, I'm at 0.1 parts per million. Zinc, I'm 0.3. And phosphorus, I'm at 11. So in other words, I have almost nothing there. So what I'm saying here is when even the nutrients that shouldn't leach, you have almost none. Um, that tells you you've got to more than anything look at what does my crop need? What am I going to pull off that ground and then go from there? So I, I, I just say this. Um, it looks like they have recommended a number of different things for you, but I see no zinc recommended. I see no manganese recommended, um, no boron recommended. I, I, I mean, I, if it's me, I'm putting those things on. So let's talk about the leachables, nitrogen, sulfur, boron, and for you, potassium as well. So those things you got to put on multiple times a year. Now the potassium, you know, you don't have to put on as many times as the nitrogen because it's not as leachable, but still it's leachable. Now here's the good news because everything you probably just heard there sounds bad, right? And especially if you're a farmer who has heavy soil, you're going, yep, this is why I'm happy I have heavy soil and not light soil. But here's the flip side. He's got water. And because he has sand, he can change that soil's fertility at any point. If you look at who holds the world record on corn and on soybeans, if you look at almost all the producers that have ever raised tremendously high yields on corn and soybeans, where are they coming from? Irrigation and sand. So I'm just trying to say it's definitely not all bad. You have an enormous advantage compared to those of us who have really heavy soil. Because if I've got something off in my soil, like for example, if I'm low on potassium and we have really heavy soil, let's say I'm at 2% base saturation, K, to get it to 7% where it needs to be. I mean, it, it this year, what would it cost me? I mean, it'd be unbelievable. I'd need hundreds and hundreds of pounds just to get up to where I need to be, not even counting the maintenance or anything. So I'm, I'm just trying to say here, you, you, yes, you have a disadvantage, but you have a big advantage that you can get the ratios right. You can, you can do all kinds of stuff with your soil immediately, and you can raise tremendously high yield, tremendously high yield right off the bat if you want to. So I, I'm just saying be encouraged with that, but you got to look at everything and say, I got to constantly be feeding fertilizer out there, especially with my leachables. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, got a few questions here from Bradley who said, uh, apparently applying Valor in the fall started at Valence Research down in northern Mississippi where it never freezes. They've got medium to heavy rainfall and mild winters. I thought Valor had a short half-life. Uh, and then I've got a few questions because of my assumptions here. Why does Valor last from October to the end of May even in Mississippi, seemingly, what environmental factors break it down? How does that differ with authority? Because authority has a longer half-life. Okay. What a half-life means is the amount of time under certain conditions that it's going to take for half of the product to be gone. 
Now, if you don't have those conditions, it's going to take longer. So that's the first thing. We do, I, I don't remember exactly what the conditions are to get the 14 to 21 day half-life that many people often talk about with Valor. But here's the other side of it. It's how much does it take to still kill some weeds? Now, as soon as you hear that, you might be already putting two and two together going, wait a second, what you're trying to say here is, okay, I'm using three ounces or four ounces, preferably four ounces in the fall, and I go to two ounces that's left in 21 days. I go to one ounce that's left in 42 days. Well, if an ounce will work, why would I use four ounces? Okay, I I personally don't believe the half-life things that you see on a lot of the crop protection products because in my experience, it varies tremendously depending on the soil life you have, your compaction, your soil type, your rainfall, your heat, your bacteria, your fungi, so many things, tillage, you name it. So I, I, I just don't quite believe the half-life stuff that I see. That's the first thing. The second thing is almost anybody that is using it in the fall is using it at a higher rate. I typically will suggest four ounces in the fall, whereas in the spring, most people are running two ounces, three ounces at the most in front of soybeans. So uh, beyond that, I just say like in Mississippi, it's not going to last as long as it's going to in North Dakota, where you're frozen all winter long. Um, I guess I'll leave it at that. I, I, I we, we do like fall-applied herbicides, not just Valor. There are many out there that will work very well. So if you ever can take some time to do some applications in the fall, especially where you have winter annual weeds, perennials, or even if you just say, look, I got a weedy field, period, do some fall application. You're, you'll usually be happy come spring. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that, Bradley. And this one comes in from Craig. You said, I'm very intrigued by the tiling process. Question is, can I tile a mostly wooded property, 136 acres? There are some very flat and wet areas that hold water for months. The first obstacle I see is having enough room to get the machine through. And then, of course, hitting roots from the trees. Yep. So when we have tiled by trees what we will typically do is then go back and just run the tile plow once every few years without tile in it next to where the tile line was. So in other words, then we, in effect, cut off any tree roots that we're getting over to our tile line. So that's one of the things that you could do. So can you tile there? Yes. Is it going to last as long as in a field where nothing but annual crops are raised? No, it's not. It's eventually going to fill up with roots. It's just a question of how long that is. So you have to say, all right, how quickly can I pay this off? We started doing a lot of tile work back in 2007. Well, think what happened starting in 2007. It was a big run-up in, in commodity prices, right? So we had this great time in agriculture. We got another great time right now. So right now, some of these tile projects we're doing, we say, yeah, I'm going to pay it off in a year or two. Well, if you're going to pay it off in a year or two, who cares if the tile only lasts 10 years in your wooded area compared to out in my field, it's going to last 50 to 100 years. So what? If I paid it off in a year or two, go back and do it again in 10 years, pay it off in another year or two or whatever. Make the decision at that point. So that's usually how I'm weighing that thing out. All right. Thanks for the, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. 
And thanks to you for listening to our show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.